Welcome, everybody. Life Before Medicine begins right now. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Crawford, board-certified urogynecologist, here today with Heather Dibke, exercise physiologist, movement specialist extraordinaire. We're so glad to be here with you today. Today's topic is urinary incontinence, and you're going to learn a ton about this today. You know, Life Before Medicine is a podcast that we created to present you with information about things you can do on your own to avoid a medical intervention. It's not a substitute for healthcare, and I'm not your doctor, but you're going to learn a ton today about what could be done to keep you out of the operating room, to keep you out of the pharmacy, and um, I think we should jump right in. Urinary incontinence is a big-time problem. It's not going to kill you, but you know, uh, it's going to possibly impact your quality of life to such a degree that uh, you don't do the things you used to enjoy doing, and it's possible that it has an impact on your self-image, self-confidence, sense of sexuality. We know it's of major consequence. And um, I think many cases really isn't given its due at the level of the primary care physician because they're treating all kinds of life-threatening illnesses. They're taking care of heart disease and diabetes. And yet, um, it needs to be addressed. It needs to not be considered the inevitable consequence of childbirth and aging. It needs to be recognized as a meaningful, impactful abnormality and they need to re- realize it could be treated without medication and surgery. So there's a lot of work to be done to close that information gap, and that's what Life Before Medicine is all about. You know, there's two m- major categories of incontinence. One is called stress incontinence, which isn't a great name. It should be called effort incontinence, because it has nothing to do with psychological stress. It has to do with effort, coughing, sneezing, laughing, running, jumping, that sort of thing that overwhelms the urethra's ability to keep the urine inside the bladder. And it's very, very common, especially after vaginal childbirth. It's very common in the fourth, fifth, sixth decade of life and beyond. And uh, it may not manifest right away after having a baby, but over the subsequent years, it can become enough of an issue that it would prompt someone to see a physician about it. The word stress incontinence, as I mentioned, really should be effort incontinence, and it is a neuromuscular phenomenon, principally a neuromuscular phenomenon. And physicians, by and large, will recommend a neuromuscular solution of sorts in saying, go home and do your Kegel exercises. Well, you know what that is. Go home, sit in a chair, and squeeze your pelvic floor muscles till you're blue in the face. Well, nobody does that. Nobody practices that. We're going to talk today about an alternative that involves movement that's a lot more practicable and highly effective at mitigating symptoms of stress incontinence without going to sleep in the operating room. So um, stay tuned for that. The other major category of bladder control difficulty is called urge urinary incontinence or overactive bladder. Now, this is, from a mechanism standpoint, totally different from stress urinary incontinence. Urge incontinence is 
a fearful experience that you won't make it to the bathroom quickly enough. Um, the sudden, uh, strong urge to urinate when you put the key in the front door, or touch the doorknob to the bathroom, or while you're doing dishes is very common and is commonly treated with medication um, and other more invasive techniques um, as well. It affects millions and millions of Americans and has a tremendous impact on quality of life. And the good news is both stress incontinence and overactive bladder or urge incontinence can be treated with the same neuromuscular solution that we're going to talk about today. So what are the medications that are used to treat overactive bladder? Let's talk about that just for a second. The original class of medication was uh, described as anticholinergic medication, meaning these pills you would take um, once or more per day would block the activity of a portion of your nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system. And the parasympathetic nervous system is the part of your nervous system that tells your bladder when to contract so as to empty and when to relax so as to fill. And so these medications are called anticholinergic because they're anti the neurotransmitter that's, in, that's used by the parasympathetic nervous system. That transmit, neurotransmitter is called acetylcholine. And they work okay. They work okay, but you know what? Most people given prescriptions for these medications aren't taking them in six months. So that tells you a lot. Either the side effects are too bothersome, dry mouth, constipation, that sort of thing, or it's possible that the expense is too great, or it's just so much of a hassle to go to the pharmacy. You know, I'm blown away when I, when I uh, have to pick up a prescription at the pharmacy, just how inconvenient it is to stand in line and get up there and, oh, it's not ready. Go amuse yourself for 20 or 30 minutes and come back. Maybe it just makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. But you know what helps with that some is, are these mail-order plans. That actually is much more convenient. You get 90 days at a time, and that does help with the inconvenience. But you know what? Who wants to have to take a medication every day for the rest of your life? Who wants to take a medication that has dry mouth? as a side effect. You want to live with that the rest of your life in exchange for not having as severe symptoms of overactive bladder? Many, many people do. It's a billion-dollar industry. But maybe, maybe we can have an impact on the information gap that exists right now, the information gap that basically results in most of the public being in the dark about what they can do on their own. What lifestyle changes can they do to avoid a medical intervention? Well, it's worth considering. For stress incontinence, Kegel exercises are the first-line therapy, and, and if that doesn't work, patients wind up in the operating room having a sling procedure, which you've probably seen advertised by lawyers on television because <laughs> there was a, uh, some bad outcomes, and there still are complications, Despite the fact that the modern mid-urethral sling is the safest, most effective procedure for stress urinary incontinence ever described. But there still are complications in a small percentage of people that have this procedure done. It involves implantation of a small piece of permanent synthetic mesh under the vaginal skin at about the mid-portion of the urethra. And 
what, what can go wrong? Well, the mesh can get infected, the mesh can erode, the mesh can cause uh, changes in the surrounding nerves that make intercourse painful, it can cause groin pain. It's possible to need to have a portion or all of the mesh removed at a later date or simply just cut if the sling is too tight and it's impairing your ability to empty your bladder. I've performed about 5,000 of these procedures, and I have treated every complication you can imagine. And for the most part, complications can be treated effectively with a second procedure. But, you know, even if it's a small risk, if you can avoid that small risk, you're better off. We need to think about healthcare and our lives from a risk management standpoint. In the same way that you might think about your finances, manage your risk if you want to be successful. And there's a lot we can do on our own outside of the healthcare system to manage our risk if we understand the condition we're addressing and if we understand what the conservative options are, at least we've got a shot at it. And in this particular instance, treatment of overactive bladder and stress incontinence, you have a really good shot at avoiding medication and surgery if you just do some very simple things. And we're going to talk about those today. Heather is going to be um, giving you some details of her personal experience and her experience working with others that have this problem. And she'll talk about an online webinar that we do once a month that uh, some of you might be interested in. I hope that you are. So the program that we created to provide a conservative solution is called Philates, P-F-I-L-A-T-E-S. And um, it's a program of movement that was born from my experience doing surgery in West Africa. About 12 or 13 years ago, I was going to West Africa every year to repair something called an obstetrical fistula, which is a devastating problem affecting about two and a half million women in sub-Saharan Africa. The condition um, arises because you, <laughs> these women live in a resource-challenged part of the world where there isn't access to emergency obstetrical care. And what I, what I mean basically is there isn't access to cesarean section. And when labor does not proceed normally... When the baby's head is descending in the pelvis and the cervix is fully dilated, but the baby's head gets stuck and stops progressing towards the outside world, that's called an obstructed labor, and it's a really dangerous thing. In the context of an obstructed labor, the bladder kind of gets sandwiched between the baby's head and the back of the pubic bone, and all kinds of pressure for all kinds of time results in a portion of the bladder wall dying, and unfortunately, the baby always dies in this situation, and ultimately, four or five days later, will pass. But then the base of the bladder passes also, and so you're left with this gaping hole between the bladder and the vagina, making you incontinent of every drop of urine your body produces. It is hard enough to be a woman in Niger. But to be a woman in Niger living with a gaping hole in your bladder that causes you to become incontinent of every drop of urine your body produces is an absolute economic, social, spiritual disaster. And so we'd fix two or three hundred a year. And pretty successfully, pretty successfully, but it became apparent after a period of time that even though we were able to restore structure, 
we did not reliably restore function. Many of these women remained incontinent. We just converted fistula incontinence to stress incontinence for many of these women. And it really made me think about this structure-function relationship that got drilled into my head uh, during my surgical training. Restore the structure, restore the function. Well, that relationship really wasn't holding true in this instance, and it suggested that maybe, maybe this particular type of incontinence wasn't a purely mechanical phenomenon, and restoration of structure wasn't enough. Because in the course of events that led to the fistula, there was damage to the nerves to the pelvic floor, to the pelvic floor muscle, and the other soft tissue of the pelvic floor in a way that was not adequately recovered. And so even though the anatomy was corrected for many of these patients, the deficit in the neuromuscular function of the pelvic floor remained, and they remained incontinent. So I really had to change the way I thought about treating this problem. And I recognized that the typical recommendation of go home and do your Kegel exercises was just not adequate. No one does them, frankly. And to exercise the pelvic floor by sitting in a chair and squeezing your pelvic floor muscles over and over and over again is like kind of like trying to exercise your quadriceps by sitting in a chair and squeezing your quadriceps over and over and over again. It really doesn't make sense. The fact is, the pelvic floor muscles are muscles of movement, and they're best trained with movement. There's a relationship between the pelvic floor muscles and muscles you use to move around, like your deep abdominal muscles and your butt muscles, the gluteal muscles, and the inner thigh muscles that cause the pelvic floor to contract more effectively. And when you combine that with a Kegel exercise, you really got something. You got a much more effective way of training the pelvic floor. And that's what Pilates is. We teach this once a month, as I mentioned, and can help you pick two movements out of an array of 10 that are your best movements to practice five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. And um, for those that do, our clinical data suggests that uh, 80% of participants will be 50% improved in 28 days of training. But it's kind of, you know, this exercise as as medicine is kind of like taking a pill. You know, if you're taking a pill for blood pressure and then you stop taking your pill for blood pressure, guess what happens to your blood pressure? Blood pressure goes up. Well, so this isn't a one and done. You have to maintain the effect you achieve by training the pelvic floor with an efficient, effective method. It's a long-term proposition, right? There's just no way around that. But it's a simple ask. Just a few minutes in the morning, a few minutes in the evening and a um, doesn't cause dry mouth or constipation. So it's pretty good news, and it doesn't require you to go to sleep in the operating room. So why wouldn't you try? Why wouldn't you try when our data suggests you'd probably be successful? So that's an example of life before medicine, right? What can you do with your life, with your lifestyle, that helps make medical intervention not necessary? It's an important question to ask, We don't have to just be passengers on this bus. We can drive the bus. And so uh, with that, I would like to ask my partner, Heather Dibke, to chime in and share her experience with um, this program and a um, 
tell us a little bit more about P49 before we wrap up today's session. And, um, oh, we have to also tease next week's session. That's going to be on pelvic pain, which is another greatly underserved problem that is greatly misunderstood even by the medical community. So we will um, be talking about that next week. So tune back in for that, please. Heather, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your background and, and how you got involved with providing this conservative solution and what your experience has been? I would love to. So my background is in clinical exercise physiology, and I worked in cardiac rehab. Um, I worked in health education. I even had my own uh, medical-based fitness studio prior to linking up with Dr. Crawford. I was one of those unfortunate women that had nerve damage during the birth of my second child. He was a very healthy 10-pound baby, uh, and it did not go well when I had him vaginally. Um, So I had nerve damage, and it started out with incontinence and sexual dysfunction, and then ultimately, because I kind of suffered for a while, uh, it turned into prolapse, which I'm sure will be another topic of conversation that we'll get into at some point down the road (laughs) on this podcast. Um, So I really struggled for a long time and I'm a movement person and I'm a certified Pilates teacher. So I know how to do a Kegel and it was not for lack of effort or knowledge. Um, It just was not working for me. Um, I was at a point where I was probably going to have to have surgery and kind of some radical forms of surgery, um, or at least I deemed them as such. Um, And I found Dr. Crawford. He was coming uh, to an area where I was living, and I thought, what have I got to lose? I'm going to give it a shot. So I attended a webinar, not a webinar, but an in-person back in that day um, that he was teaching and started implementing the program in my own body. Um, It was phenomenal what I was able to achieve. In fact, when I saw my urogynecologist, probably like a year and a half later after using the Pilates method, um, he said he would not even classify me as a woman with pelvic floor dysfunction anymore. So the program absolutely works. And because I was so passionate about it, I kept in touch with Dr. Crawford. I even was able to go out and do an internship with him. And I started implementing it in my studio. Um, And before I knew it, I was getting referrals from physicians. I was getting clients referring other people, physical therapists were sending people my way. Um, And I thought, wow, this is a huge need. Apparently I'm not the only one that's struggling. So I have been using Dr. Crawford's program. Man, I would say it's probably been about 10 years now, Dr. Crawford, or close to it. Um, I I know. I can't believe how time has flown by. Unbelievable. (laughs) Time flies when we're having fun. Um, And so I just kept getting great results with it to the point where it's a huge passion of mine because I obviously had an experience, a profound experience in my own body, but seeing it in other people, both men and women. And I know we're kind of talking a little bit more about the female aspect, but men can have uh, challenges with their pelvic floor as well. And so my client base started to become more and more men that were coming to see me. Um, And people were avoiding surgery, they were getting off of medications, their quality of life was improving. So it's just very exciting program. And as such, during the course of the pandemic, uh, in order to kind of pivot, Dr. Crawford and I 
went to more of an online webinar platform so that we could educate people ongoing, maybe in areas where they don't have access to resources. There are rural parts of America as well. Um, maybe there are not pelvic floor PTs in their area, or maybe they don't have insurance coverage. There's a variety of reasons, but we do offer a monthly two-hour webinar where you get to hear Dr. Crawford talk a little bit more about um, pelvic floor dysfunction. You actually get to learn the Pilates movements and we help you select the ones that are going to be the best for your body that you're going to work on every day. And I think what makes this program so exciting is that we only ask you to do 10 minutes a day. So it's not like you have to be spending 30, 45, or 60 minutes on a fitness program, 10 minutes a day, and it will literally transform your life. I think that's been borne out by our experience, and uh, I think that uh, those of you listening that haven't uh, had the opportunity to participate in one of our webinars yet, please do yourself a favor and join us, second Saturday of every month. You know, it's so hard, Heather, to present this without sounding like a commercial. You know, it, it kind of is a commercial, though. But, but like, how do you tell people about your thing Without it sounding like a commercial, it, you know, know. It, it is a commercial, you know, but yes, but, but, you know, but wait, there's more. I feel like <laughs> there's right. no like so set of Ginsu knives that come along with this thing. You know, we uh, know how many people are impacted right, um, right, right. by these. It's a huge quality of life issue. I mean, it was a huge quality of life issue for me. It was a huge relationship issue between my husband and myself with the level of dysfunction I was encountering. So um, yes, it sounds like a commercial, um, but it's so exciting to have a program that you can do on your own at home in 10 minutes a day. And in, in today, you know, we chose to focus on bladder control issues, but as, as you alluded to, there are other issues that are treated with the same kind of approach, sexual dysfunction, that was um, in, inability to get aroused or have an orgasm, um, bowel control problems. Mm-hmm. It's like, like how many accidents of bowel control do you have to have before it's a problem one like one time (laughs) you know what I mean and that's even there's even more barriers to treating that problem than bladder control issues as embarrassing as a bladder control issue is a bowel control issue is just so taboo in our society absolutely and people become shut-ins yeah it's the last thing you want to do is have an accident out in public especially when it involves your bowels you know, there are a lot of people that have bowel diseases, whether it's Crohn's or colitis. So um, I have used this program with that demographic of people as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad to hear it. You know, we're still learning about the way to uh, address these problems. You, you know, uh, when we first started, we taught everybody all 10 movements. You remember that? We kind mm-hmm. of We kind of squeezed this into the traditional fitness paradigm where you would do all 10 movements, you know, and, and then we learned over time that wasn't the best way to do it. It's better to identify two of the 10 movements that are your best movement and just focus mm-hmm. on those. And so we continue to get better at this. We continue to learn from our experience how to better apply our research to a practical solution for people. And, I, and, and I'm sure that's going to continue. I'm sure that, that yeah. you know, that this program will continue to evolve in a way that makes it more efficient more effective, more accessible over time. Mm -hmm. And eliminating 
barriers to compliance. That was one of the reasons we went from 10 to two. It's a lot to ask people to spend 30 minutes a day doing this every day, but we can easily fit in two movements over the course of 10 minutes a day. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have 5,300 instructors trained worldwide now. 50, we have, oh, have 1,200 in Japan, believe it or not. And amazing. It's amazing how many people from within the fitness and physical therapy realm have picked this up already. But it's just a drop in the bucket, Heather. You know, mm-hmm. the, the number of people in North America alone that are in the dark about the realities of these problems and what they can do on their own is staggering. Millions and millions and millions of, maybe 100 million Americans. And that's just, it makes you shudder when you think about these important decisions we make without adequate information to make the decision. Absolutely. Right, and that's, that's why we're doing Life Before Medicine. That's mm-hmm. what this is about, to give you the information so you can make a better choice. And that is what I so much look forward to continue doing with well, you. If we have listeners who would like to join us, they can go to our website, which is www.filates.com. And that's P-F-I-T-A-L-E-S.com. Um, and you'll see we offer continence coach programs. If you're in an area where you don't have a certified Pilates teacher that you can link up with, we will happily be your coach on this journey. Yeah, you know, it's one thing that came out of the pandemic that was a real positive is we figured out how to do this virtually. Mm-hmm. That we wouldn't have, I, I truly believe we wouldn't have done that if we weren't forced to do it, right? I agree. It's like innova- I agree. In, innovation comes from necessity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mother of invention. And, and so, um, you know what? Even though the last couple of years have been a real frightening struggle for everybody, listening to this podcast, it has produced some good things. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of them, in, in my opinion. And so uh, we look forward to getting to know you um, in one of our programs. If you're an instructor, we, we look forward to training you to become a, cer- a certified Pilates instructor. And so, you know, the name is a funny name. I, it was like Thursday at 4.30, and I had to think of something to name it because I, I made a DVD way, way, way back when. The DVD is a little dated, actually. but So I just stuck an F in the word Pilates because I worked with a bunch of Pilates instructors when I was creating it. And, so for, cause, and the idea was that, yeah, okay, it's pelvic floor, P-F-I-L-A-T-E-S. And anyway, it's too late to change the name now. That's kind of a goofy name that nobody can say. Half the people say P. Pilates. And it doesn't really matter. It 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 is kind of just become a thing in itself, and um, and it's a ton of fun. And so I think I, I'm enjoying this. And people get such value out of that to our webinar. We continue to get reviews all the time uh, from people thanking us for doing that and bringing that program to a more accessible format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, people don't hold back on reviews. I don't think we've ever had a review that like, you stink. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had one of those. You no, know, I mean, we have gotten good feedback. You know, people are like, oh, I really like that. But could you make the recording available so we could listen to it again? Yeah, oh, yeah, well, yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do care about your feedback. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So good, good, and thank you. 
Everybody, we're going to wrap this thing up today. I'm so grateful you took the time to listen to this. I hope you'll come back and join us next week and the week after that and the week after that. I hope you'll let us work with you to close the information gap that exists between the current healthcare system and the general public. Mm-hmm. What can you do? Heather, thank you. Everybody who's listening, thank you. We'll be in touch. You be in touch too. Bye bye.